you know, when Slash from Guns N' Roses is sober, everyone should take notice. <laughs> like I'm just saying, like, you know, and it's because the business, you know, obviously probably from a health standpoint, but I I know more sober rock stars than I don't. Let me go that way. I got very good friends in my life that are rock, yeah. you know, in big giant bands that are all sober. And I've spent more time with sober bands since I've been sober than not, if I'm being honest. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 85. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol, and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. I think the turning point for me was I did the session with Lynette and I did the workshop. And suddenly it was like, uh, it, it's not a shame. It's not an embarrassment. Um, there is life after alcohol, and it's going to be a better life. So, I think the 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 challenge, the the support, made the difference for me. So, if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. If you're as old as I am, you may remember when rock music was all about sex, drugs and rock and roll. I still remember going to a Rolling Stones concert in London, which was held the day after their guitarist Brian Jones had been found dead in his swimming pool. And as he was only 27 years old, he joined the tragic lineup of other talented artists who died at the age of 27, including Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse and Janis Joplin. But times are changing. The music business is a multi-billion dollar business these days. And everything that rock stars do remains on the internet for posterity. My guest this week has a job that you may well envy if you're into rock music. He spends his life touring the world, running concerts for some of the top rock bands. He's also got a podcast called Brenton on Tour. So have a listen to my conversation with Brent, who gives us a fascinating insight into the music world. Hi, everybody. My name is Brent. Uh, I have a show called the Brenton on Tour podcast. I tour the world and I run concerts for a living. Um, it was a dream of mine to do ever since probably I was, you know, out of high school. And I'm from Canada, so from about grade 
probably six, seven, eight, I had my eyes set on, on the music industry and, and kind of went at it to pursue it. And um, now I run concerts for a living around the world. Uh, started a show searching for coffee around the world, all the best coffee I could find around the world while I was running concerts around the world. And it's since developed into, uh, you know, the different categories of a show. I cover coffee, music, travel, and life. I'm a dad. I have two two uh, young kids ish they're 13 and 11 now and i'm sober three years fantastic well that's what we're going to talk about today of course isn't it so let's dive straight into the drinking story shall we how sure. old were you when you started drinking were you a teenage drinker barely the the first time i probably had a beer you know it was hanging out in the neighborhood or one of the dads or something they, they would give you like a at that point, maybe I was like ten or eleven, and you'd have a sip of your a sip of a neighbor's beer or something like that. My dad never was like, "Here, have a beer" or anything like that. But it was always like the neighborhood dads or something. But I think the first time I ever got drunk, I was sixteen on a beer, and I probably had you're sixteen trying beer for the first time. I think I probably had like probably six or seven because I thought, "Yeah, I'm going to go for it." And it turned me off beer for the rest of my life, actually. How interesting! <laughs> very, very barely. It was very. It was. Uh, yeah, I wasn't much of a beer drinker after that. But uh, yeah, people yeah. have mixed reactions. Uh, I've spoken to quite a lot of people that had an experience in their teens, and uh, a lady I was talking to the other day, she drank half a bottle of vodka, her first drinking experience, and. Yeah. And the next day, rather than, you know, had that feeling that you had, like you never want another beer again, she couldn't wait to have another vodka. She just loved it so much. So different. I reactions. was relatively late to that. I mean, I, I had the beer and then it kind of turned me off. I was I was more the the driver for my friends and stuff like that. I wasn't a, a big drinker, but then I, be you know, kind of slowly became better at it. <laughs> yeah. Did that come with the job, so to speak? I, I don't know what age you were when you started this yeah. amazing job. Well, it came and I, I was um, I was I played in a band from about eighteen years old. I was still the driver, but when I wasn't the driver, it was like, all right, let's go. And and so it started probably around eighteen, nineteen, where I started playing in bands, playing shows, being around other bands, you know, partying a bit, and then around twenty. I started tour, what they call tour managing. So I started tour managing bands uh, wh where you manage their day-to-day -day life and career on the road. And I think that's basically when it started because you would have days off and you're kind of going going for it. And uh, as far as drinking more, lots of drinks more, you know what I mean? But I still wasn't like the person that would, like woke up to a, a whiskey and went to bed with a whiskey. It was more just having you know, six or seven when you're out. And were you back on the beer at this point or? No, no, I was, I was like, a have a beer to start and then, and then go from there. I, I, um, we have a thing in Canada called the, you know, Royal, a Crown Royal. So it was, a I was introduced to, uh, Crown Royal and Coca-Cola and I was like, Ooh, this is good. And then, uh, you know, that's whiskey. And, is it? Yeah, it is. It's like a rye whiskey. And then the thing about when I was 19 and uh, like backing up on just on that for a second, when I was 19 and you could start going to the bars in Canada, the, the big thing there was consumption. So it was like highball night, $1.50 crown Royal and Cokes. It's like, all right, let's drink as many as we can. They're only a dollar 50. I mean, it kind of starts then when they, the bars are like, 
drink as much as you can for as oh, little yeah. as you want. Right. Exactly. And that's kind of eased me into it. And then you're tour managing and you're out with bands and, and then it's just like, Oh, there's free alcohol now. And yeah, it kind of gets going. Yeah, I used to drink something called Canadian Club. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah, of course. Canadian Club is like one of the oldest whiskeys uh, in the world. In fact, during the Prohibition, if you watch any of the Prohibition movies, like old-style movies from Prohibition in America, Canadian Club was the whiskey. Okay. That I they would put Coke in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah, that was a great mix, Coca-Cola and... And uh, and whiskey, yeah. So, so you were drinking away in your twenties, kind of more or less normally, like other people of your age. When did you start to worry about it? If I'm being honest, it was only probably about three years ago, like when I quit. Okay. Because as my responsibility and my career became more significant, and I also have taken various forms in the music industry over the years, like, you know, tour managing and then putting on my own concerts. But, you know, now I, I work for a, a, a major company and I run concerts, you know, and it, it just, your responsibility level goes up. And there was a point where, you know, I had an, op- I recognized just that, oof, maybe these two can't go together. You know, I, had a, I wrote an article a little while ago about how we're all born with 5,000 drink tickets and we have to decide how we want to use those in life. Yeah. And uh, I think in 20, probably 18, I was, I probably used a thousand of them. And that's only a couple of drinks a day, a plus a few days off. It's not like it's, you know, a hundred drinks a, a week, but but it's, it's basically two drinks a day plus a little bit more in your days off. And all of a sudden you're at a thousand drinks yeah. and that scares people because they have to look in the mirror and go, wait, I have a, a bottle of wine every night or I, I, yeah. have, I have two two beer a day just, just sitting around the house and that's 700 plus drinks. So how much can your liver take? And I, I just kind of said to myself, I don't think I can do that consumption and it doesn't look like my off switch is working as well anymore. So I, I had to decide, you know, career or, yeah. or, uh, or late nights at, at on days off at the bar and, and obviously career one and family. Yeah, I, right? I remember someone that I interviewed said to me once, um, even if alcohol doesn't destroy you and it doesn't destroy everybody by any means, but it'll, it'll prevent you from really reaching your potential. And I, I'm sure in your job, you have to be so sharp, you know, there must be crisis. Going well, that's on a great, often. that's a great point. I think Bradley Cooper, the actor was the one that, that had said something like that where he yeah. had basically said, I don't, I think alcohol was holding me back from my full potential. Yeah. Um, and I, I think people struggle with that, that term because, you know, internally they go, I don't have a problem. So it's not going to hinder my, my progress in life. But you know, as well as I do that when you're in it, you don't notice that, um, you think that everyone else is also on the same train as you. Yeah. But you slowly realize that it's mightly, you're just probably alone in the caboose and everyone's just trying to either catch up or they're uh, appeasing you. Yeah. I mean, how many hardcore partiers do we have in our life? I mean, realistically, I didn't really have any. So I guess it was me. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I, I've yeah. got a friend, I must tell you about him. It's funny. He's, he's got a, a small company. It's a banking company and, and he's the boss. 
And and he, he came to a workshop that I ran and he said, uh, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm in such a boozy environment, you know, banking. We're always taking out clients and, and it's, you know, we, we have a fridge in the office and four o'clock you know, it's open and, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, everybody drinks. I don't know how they're going to take it if if I stop. Uh, anyway, he did stop because he, he had to stop really, he had liver issues. And he discovered that his uh, work liquor bill just plummeted because the, the guys didn't really want to drink as much as they had been drinking. They were just trying to, you know, please him and yeah. and collaborate with the boss and do what, what makes Claire, him I- happy. So I know we'll, I know we'll get into Claire Claire's book and stuff, but I think she she talks about Claire Pooley in her book. She talks about how she thought everyone was partying with her, and then she realized that they were just trying to party to appease her. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I and I, I that was an eye opening line for me because yeah. I, I kind of looked around and go, "Geez, I yeah. think I was the one pouring all the yeah. drinks all the time." Yeah, and yeah. that's a bit embarrassing actually when you look back on it. It's, when it's you are me. sober, you you really notice, don't you, that that actually people aren't drinking that much. You know, you spot people that are clutching the same glass of wine practically all, all evening, and you think, oh, because I used to say, well, everybody drinks all the time. Do you, can I ask you a question for a minute? Sure. Yeah. So the Brits have a have a great reputation of being great drinkers <laughs> we are we are we, we go out for a result you know we don't go out for a drink we go out to get oh wasted. that's great i love that line same thing for you as far as um when you stopped you noticed as well that or, or that, that that no one was really drinking as much as you or were you part of a group of people that were really doubling down on their alcohol and then you were you got out and then they were and then you kind of started losing friends about it i'm not sure everyone's journey is a little bit differently but i mean yeah i i was in in a boozy crowd and you know i have lost touch with uh some of those people yeah and and some of them i still see but i'll I'll spend a couple of hours with them and then i'll I'll go you know because it gets it just gets boring as as you know (laughs) did you have you ever seen that movie 28 days with sandra bullock yes i think so remind me she is like the drunk messy sister uh, yeah she's partying all the time she crashes the car she gets she has to go to rehab uh it's fantastic because she uh, it's the first time i've really i thought it was a really good movie on what that might be like where you have a group of party friends and then you go to rehab and then you got to come out of it and then you don't want to be around them anymore because it's 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 toxic they're making fun of you because you don't drink anymore or whatever and um i thought it to your, you know, your point about that, it's like, you know, you had your friends and then I, I've, I've had some great support, so I didn't really lose anybody, but I'm saying from the standpoint of that movie really touched on that party life and then you get rid of it. And then all of a sudden you've got a new group and a new tra- a new bunch of people in your life. Yeah. And, um, it was a really eye opening movie for me. And I, I, I almost want to say that when I watched that movie for the first time, it kind of made me take a look around and go, Ooh, I wonder if that's me. I'm not sure, but it's very yeah. close. It's very yeah. close. I must have a have a look at that. Yeah, I mean, I have lost friends, but I'm so enamored with the recovery community. You know, I think it's amazing. Yeah. And I feel like I've discovered a whole new world, you know, and I've mm. met so many people and made so many new friends. 
And I love the way that, I mean, you and me, we don't know each other at all, but, you know, we're, we're having quite a deep conversation 10 minutes after meeting. And, you know, that happens all the time because we've all been through the same thing. And it's, uh, I think people in recovery are just vulnerable. You know, we're, we're real. We don't, uh, you know, have any bullshit left anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoy that. And I think, you know, connection is the opposite of addiction. And the, the connection that I have these days with people is, is so much deeper than, you know, going out and, and drinking with people. That's, yeah, that's- I, I, I notice it greatly on tour now more than ever. I never, with all due respect to anybody that was on a journey, but when you're drinking, you don't notice as many sober people. And I, mm. and, I, and I mean that respectfully. I'm just saying you're out and you're kind of just immersed in, in the experience out there doing it. But once you step back from it, then you notice that there's way more people out there than you, than you thought of before. And getting over that hump of being judged, which I think is the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles that people go through is being judged for not doing it and accepting that it's just who you are now is the first big hurdle. And um, then you realize, to your point about the fact that we're 10 minutes into a chat, we've all been through it. And, uh, you know, so we instantly can connect on that level saying, well, we've all had yeah. that same same feeling that someone's going to. And it, it takes courage and confidence to, to get sober, I think. So there's a kind of mutual respect there. But I often think, you know, because of this peer pressure, so many people, well, I guess I was one of them you're kind of trapped in your drinking because you can't imagine how how to get out of it. You can't imagine how you'd have fun without it or how you, you know, keep your friends or how you'd socialize without it. And it takes, you know, my experience after working with hundreds of people is it takes a good six months of kind of hard work and, you know, doing the work and then you can get there. But and then it and then you're done really. You don't have to go to meetings for the rest of your life. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. I, 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 and I didn't do meetings and I, I had to, I just did it kind of cold turkey and then did it, did it through reading and sort of, I went a bit of a different way. I went exercise, coffee, <laughs> and, <laughs> sure. and just like, I was always a searcher of the world. So on those days off, instead of the bar, well, uh, starting a show, a podcast helped because prime example yesterday, I, I mean, I'm in Miami gearing up for a tour. I did like three shows yesterday. I did like three interviews for my show. I don't know, here we are with yours. I'm getting up at, you know, 9 a.m. On, on an off tour day, which, you know, would be unheard of in my past life. <laughs> you would just get, you would sleep as much as you could, but I couldn't wait to talk to you today because I, I, I like talking to like-minded people in this in this space. And it, just that mentality has changed. And, and so I would replace my search for alcohol for knowledge you know, and yeah. coffee. So yeah, it's a it's a journey of discovery. I think. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Did uh, Brent? Did you ever try to cut down before you decided you were going to stop? Because many of us go through the rules. You know, I'm not going to drink on this night. I'll only have to. I'll only drink red wine because I don't like red wine much, etc. Did you have any rules? I would look forward ahead to what was going on in the week. Oh, I got two, like I, I never drank when I worked, but I would drink after work on the tour bus or something. Even then it was like a couple of doubles a night to go to bed, but it was more 
looking looking down the road going, oh, we have three days off coming up. So I'm not yeah. going to drink at all this week, but those three days, oh, I'm going to be in Dublin, Ireland, and I'm going to call my friends at Jameson, and I'm going to bring a band in, and we're going to stay four hours there. So you would look to these drinking goals. So I would look towards like, oh, I'm going to have three days off in Ireland coming up. So two of those days are going to be not great. Now, I'm not going to get wasted, but for sure I'm going to have – a bunch of drinks and then I'm going to walk around and it's going to be great. Like, it was just that to me was the experience that I was looking forward to. So it wasn't so much rationing and cutting down as so much as planning out my drinking sessions. Sure, <laughs> that's, sure. that's kind of how it went, you know? And yeah. did uh, any friends or family ever say to you, 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 you drink a lot, you should cut down. My wife was more concerned if I would get kind of really drunk you know like on some of those sometimes when you know you'd be camping or or you'd be out uh, or it was like new year's and we'd be at the neighbors and stuff we'd be hanging i would just kind of i was in my comfort zone i'm home i'm like a block away from home or i'm at home i can kind of go for it and i was thinking that you know maybe we were all having a good time and i and i every now and again she would be like you had a lot of drink you had a lot of drinks last night and you were pretty messy like you weren't saying things properly, like, you know, and whatever, like you just weren't, weren't yourself. And, and, um, she goes, I didn't really like it very much. So then that would kind of like, okay, wait, wait, wait. and then I would sober, you know, kind of even take a couple of weeks off from it and go, yeah, yeah. And so I kind of okay. had to clean that up a little bit. So, so tell us when you decided to stop and why, uh, that new year's of 2018, I, I wasn't much of a, a new year's resolution person. But I, I challenged myself. I definitely felt like there was a, pr a problem. So coming out of 2018, I said to myself, I wonder if I can do my job without having to drink. You know, can I do it? Can I go on a tour bus, be surrounded by hundreds of people, go to Dublin, go to all these places and do it without alcohol? So 28, the end of 2018, I challenged myself first with 30 days. Like, I'm like okay, I'm going to do a month. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's... Now I've got 30 days, I guess I'll push it to, you know, I'll, I'll go a little bit more, you know. And then I found Claire's book uh, around day, probably, I don't know what it was, probably around day 40 or something or 50. And I read it, I read up to day 40 or 50 in the store. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, really? Her, <laughs> yeah, because I was just like fascinated because her book was, you know, The Sober Diaries was, um sort of a document of her journey. And I was fascinated and I bought it right away and I committed myself to, you know, going as far as I could with it. And a lot of the things that I was reading was like, you got to get over 90 or a hundred days and then kind of take a stock of where you are. So I committed to that. And so that was kind of 2018. And then I got about a hundred days into 2019 saying, I don't want to waste these hundred days. So I'm going to just kind of keep going, you know. Have you read Claire's blog, The Obstacle Race? Talking of a hundred days, uh, I haven't read that one. I've just I've read her book, yeah. and we've I've, I've had her on my show, and we've spoken a few times, and and she's been a big. But I will immediately after we're done this interview. Yeah, I was, I was thinking I must send it to you. It's fabulous. It, it went viral, and it's um, you know she's saying that you you really need to get to a hundred days uh, just to feel some benefits of of this journey. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's really hard. And her, her main point is that if you keep falling on and off the wagon, you know, if you keep, 
um, trying again and again. You're just doing the hardest bit over and over again. So you need to push through to those 100 days. And then the longer you're sober, the more benefits you experience. So it's. Uh, I might have read it because I might have read it because um, I'm, I'm a big, such a big supporter of her. And uh, maybe th- when I was perusing through all of her stuff, I might have, because I, I'm of the same mentality that you need a hundred days. I've had yeah. a, a friend of mine that, 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 um, got sober and was, we were kind of poking around on, on some advice and just shooting the shit about some stuff. And I said, well, I think a hundred days is you go through a bevy of emotions over a hundred days and that's going to let you know whether you can do this or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so I've always kind of, so I, I might've, Per, perused it, but I'm definitely going to double down on reading it when we're done here. Yeah, so. it's great. It's very funny. It's all about yeah, fluffy yeah. bunnies. Yeah, yeah. We've adopted her language in our community. So we, mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, the bunny field being the sober field. And, and we're obviously got a chat thing. So on the chats, uh, the community yeah. chat, there's all these little bunny icons flying around. It's great. That's funny. I, I, I definitely, um, uh, I, I love that point. That, uh, the, the, that she says getting on and off the wagon is the hardest part. I yeah. a thousand percent agree. I, I don't know. I think it mentally would be very hard for me uh, right now if I would cave to throw away the days. I, I, I would understand somebody in those first hundred days caving, mm. you know, because it's such a, it's so hard to do and you just kind of get over it. But at this point where the numbers I'm at, and I know you're not supposed to look at it like that, but I, I, you know, I've stopped counting months and days and I'm just into, you know, I just look at it in years now, which is great. But I would, I think mentally it would be very tough for me to, to cave and waste all those days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard work and it's like you've accumulated this capital and I did the kind of on and off wagon thing, but only when I was moderating. So sure. I tried for 10 years to cut down and I kept, you know, succeeding, failing, succeeding, failing. And every time I failed, I just felt so bad about myself and so depressed. You know, I thought, why can't I be normal mm. and drink like everybody else? So, of course, you know, my big mistake back there was to to try to cling on to it because once you've crossed a line with your drinking, you just have to let it go. Mm. And I'd crossed that line. It's the morning of death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Drinking's, I went, drinking's oh, been your best friend. Exactly. Exactly. We even have, if you've got a moment to look at our website, you'll see a mm-hmm. section called uh, Goodbye to Alcohol. So we encourage people to write a goodbye letter to alcohol. And we've mm-hmm. got some really powerful ones on there. You know, maybe you'll yeah. write one for us. But it's, it's great because it's like drawing a line under it, you know, and, and not, you know, berating alcohol i mean in mine i say we we had some great times together i'll never forget you you know i still smile when i think about some of the things we got up to but but that was then and this is now you know and i'm moving on and it's over so it's it's kind of cool just to to get to that stage but you have to go through a grieving process absolutely yeah. uh-huh. So, um, yeah i mean you did pretty well didn't you uh, starting out on this journey alone and do you think you could have kept going if you hadn't have um, had the the fortune to meet our friend Claire? I think I could have, uh, maybe. But Claire was such a big, big part of it, though, because one of the things that um, when you start on a journey like this, like anything else, you you sort of feel a little bit alone in it, no matter what. Even if you know, like my wife was like, "Great, you stop," but it's you know, I don't expect her to go along that journey with me. This is my my choice, right? So. 
I, you kind of feel a little bit alone in it. I, yeah. I was a little reluctant on the alcohol anonymous thing. And I think part of that is the tag that goes with it. So I, yeah. the, 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 the first part of it for me was, was that denying, denying that you're maybe an alcoholic and, and having a tag. And, and I, and I'm still, I still struggle with, with tagging somebody as an alcoholic. I, I, I still, I, I think that, um, I, I just, I just didn't feel like I wanted to put myself into a category. I just knew that there was a problem. So I wanted to fix it. So I kind of, I went about it. Once I started down the path, then I started noticing more people, but Claire was, was key because, you know, she was successfully published. She has an amazing story of uh, bouncing back. And when I reached out to her to tell her that I found her book and I loved her story, she messaged me back. And that was the key because she's like, thank you. And I am uh, on team Brent, like, you know, and she could have said that to a thousand people, but in that moment, it was just her and I, and she was like, I'm, if you need anything, let me know. And she was fantastic, which led me to being able to, you know, really immerse myself. I'm surrounded by bands and rock stars and all the rest of it (laughs) all the time, but I never, it never phases me from that standpoint because it's just not really a thing. But with her, it was different. It was like, well, this is like, I, I'm sure she's going to hate me saying, you know, here's a celebrity non-drinker. But what it is, <laughs> is like, it was more like, well, here's somebody who's published, who's successful, who's doing great, who has this amazing blog, who people love around the world. And she just messaged me, which means that she put me in my own room and she'll open that door every now and again and check in on me, how I'm doing in that room. And it made me feel good great. And then when I asked her to come on my show, I was in London and she said something in that interview when we were sitting down, we were, we were backstage at the O2. And she was like, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to come because you're just, a, you're, even though I'm supporting you, you are a stranger and you are, you know, like, and I'm, I have to take away from my family and stuff to come all the way into the O2. And she goes, but there was something that I want, like, there was something that pulled me there to, to talk. And, um, I was so thankful that she did. And she told me she was grateful that she did. And uh, that really, it really sealed it for me. And and I was able to take that. And some people go, I just met Eddie Vedder, or I just met Dave Grohl, or I met, uh, you know, Rihanna, or like people have their own heroes or whatever it's going to be. I took that to my wife and, and my friends and was like, Claire, has put me in my own little room and she checks in on me. And that was like the best feeling in the world. And I was, it was great. So it was oh, a big help. The, it was a big help. The power of connection. Eh? And I'm mm-hmm. sure that, you know, she felt uh, as, as good about it as you did. I mean, there's no feeling quite like helping someone to get over yeah. this, you know. I was at home one time and I, and Claire had videoed me around and she checked in on it because she mine's an easy anniversary to remember it's new year's so she had checked in on me i think after year one oh yeah or two i think it was on the second year and she was like hey it's your anniversary and everything and and she videoed me uh because she came on my show for an update and i think my wife was there and i was like hey this and my wife was just sort of like very like wow this is this woman has helped help my husband it was just a very it was a good moment you know it was great yeah she she's amazing i mean every saturday we have what we call our members zoom cafe and we just open the cafe at 4 30 and people pile in and and chat and we have a guest uh once a month and we had claire on saturday you know she was so generous with her time you know she came and 
and just chatted away and inspired a whole group of new people, you know, new people that had read the Sober Diaries. And uh, I think they, they were thrilled just by how warm and accessible she, she is. She's great. And that's a tough gig for her. I mean, she's written this book. She's written, a, you know, um, a two, uh, she's got another book coming out. She, yeah. yeah, Authenticity Project she did. So she's busy. And to, to, spread that, to spread that time around, and then you got idiots like me coming on saying, well, you know, she's, uh, I've made a personal connection with her. She's a lovely, she's been such a big help in my journey. And then everyone else listens to this and goes, well, I'm going to reach out to her too. And maybe she'll help me. <laughs> so sorry, Claire, I apologize. <laughs> but but yeah, thank you for, for helping her a lot me. As well. oh dear. You know, well. and Janet, and thank you, Janet, because you, uh, you reached out as well. And I, I love, I just love those connections. So it's been a, it, I, I really appreciate it. So. So let's talk about this job of yours, shall we, Brett? I mean, going on tours with rock bands can't be the easiest environment. So, you know, how, how do you cope? Let's talk about the Well, okay, job. so it goes it goes back to that first it goes back to what we were talking about about making that commitment in 2019 to say if I could do this sober. I don't hang out with bands. So I run the show. I, I'm with the production managers and the tour managers and stuff like that. If I happen to have a band interaction, it's just because of design. It's, you know, I'm with them for either three months at a time. And some bands will be like, just go do their business, get up on stage and go. But other bands are pretty involved in the whole thing and they want to know who everybody is. And there's that, which is great to know. But it's it's not necessarily like the swing off the chandelier smash TV world anymore. It's It's a very, business is very, important that all your ducks are in a row and and, and being the rebel uh drinking smashing hotel thing only goes so far and eventually it catches up to you as an artist so um it's the crew and the, and the people that you're out with that you're spending every day with that's where it can become tough because uh and that this isn't judging them or 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 my role but you you spend your days off together with the people that you're closest with and when you're out with a band for three months at a time, it's the crew and the people that you're with, they become like a family. You're together all the time. And some people get, will separate it and not spend any time with them and just be alone. But it doesn't really work in my position because I'm I'm a connector of dots. I have to connect all the departments together to make sure they're running together uh, at first and then oversee it from, my, from the promoter side of it and make, you know, if I'm kind of like, Hey, if whatever you got, what do you guys need, or uh, how are we doing out here? Is there anything that we're, you know, that, that'll make this tour go better? And through that, you make connection with these people. Hey, Brent, come on out. We're going here. Hey, Brent, let, we're going to go here. And and uh, that's the difficult part. It's not the bands. It's not like you know you're with Eddie Vedder and he's like, hey, we're all going partying tonight. It's just, that just never that never happens. So it, it's not. You might be part of a band dinner or something where they're taking everybody out and it's then it's a nice little gathering and you're having food in Italy or something, but it's not like everyone come to our hotel room and let's smash shit and go crazy. It's it's that might happen from crew guys, but it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily happen from, from the artist side anymore. And so you make connections on, on crew and you make connections through, through the people that you're spending the most time with 
Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, a lot of rock stars are, how shall I put it, they're quite mature these days, aren't they? they they're getting on a bit. I mean, what's it? The Rolling well, Stones in their 70s now, aren't they? Yeah, and everything's on. Everything's recorded now, and there's filming it. So it's everyone's a little bit more careful. Uh, what goes on behind, you know, uh, hotel room doors is is um, is not really a thing anymore. I think it's that the business has taken over so much now. Not that it ever, not that it wasn't before, but it is so under a microscope all the way around that every artists are smarter. They want to know every aspect of what's going on, and and I think that um, I think the business is better for it. But uh, certainly, from my perspective, when you're out and you you know you you take the, everyone out for a band dinner and band crew and, and and stuff like that that's where it can get a little bit off the rails because now you become known as the guy with the credit card and then it's it's a bit of a thing my first foray into not drinking in this world was very interesting to me because i was i, I just felt uncomfortable at first going yeah i don't drink because then all of a sudden you feel like you're being judged by them you're like oh great we got to spend three months with the guy with the credit card who doesn't drink I, it just was a weird <laughs> it's a weird kind of feeling that you have to mentally get over, you know, and then you discover that there's way more people like you out there than you thought. And then it kind of makes it easier. So. Because there certainly are some sober rock stars around these days, aren't they? Tons. I mean, tons, you know, when slash from guns and roses is sober, everyone should take notice. (laughs) Like I'm just saying like, you know, and it's because the business, you know, obviously probably from a health standpoint, but I, I know more sober rock stars and I don't let me go that way. I got very good friends in my life that are rock, you know, in big giant bands that are all sober. And I've spent more time with sober bands since I've been sober than not, if I'm being honest. So in the last three years, since I've stopped drinking, almost all the bands I've been with, have also not drank. And that's an interesting. I wonder if that's your influence. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's just coincidence, but it's very, it was very interesting to me. And maybe the ones I was with before that were also the same, but I didn't notice it. You know, I'm just saying it's, it's just kind of like, I really took notice that a lot of the artists that I was with over the last three years are all clean and sober. And that was very interesting. Yeah, and what what's nice is presumably they don't have to worry about their image, that their image will be damaged because they're sober. To my point earlier, as far as like how everything's under a microscope now, if you have one bad performance, it lives on the internet forever. Yeah. Okay, so bands are also doubling down on, uh, not necessarily image, but geez, you were a mess last night on stage and now it's on YouTube forever. And is that what you want to be known as? You, you know, is that what you want to be known as? Is is this like mess? Like people don't want to spend one hundred and twenty dollars on a ticket to go watch somebody fall off stage anymore. It, it, like it used to be, oh, that was funny. See him fall off stage. Like if, you know, if Dave Grohl falls off stage because he tripped, like I just like you know what I mean. Like it's just one of those things where he did fall off stage in Sweden and he broke his leg. Like it's just one of those things where. People are under a microscope all the time now, and band-wise, I got to think that they it's now more than ever performance number one because yeah. it's being filmed all the time. At the very least, you know, we, we've got we've to make sure it sounds great all the time or, or people aren't going to buy tickets, you know? Yeah. 
So maybe the days of the, what was it, the 27 Club, where not those yeah. young rock stars yeah. died of alcohol and drugs, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a tough or one. Or Amy Winehouse. Yeah, it was, yeah. Fantastic. Kurt, Kurt Cobain, Lane Staley. Yeah, sure. it's uh, it's it's and I can't say that it doesn't go on still. I don't know, but I can just tell you from a personal experience from doing shows that right now that I've I've noticed a, a cleaner environment than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. in my whole career, it's very yeah. interesting. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. And I think that things are changing slowly. I mean, these days, when I got sober seven years ago, uh, there was nothing apart from AA. You know, I went to AA and hated it and found something else. But but that's another story. Um, but now, I mean, any imagine any of your rock stars or people on the, the tours that, that are worried about their drinking, they can just go on the internet and Google sober sobriety groups and they'll find help online. It never used mm-hmm. to be like that. And plus there's all these alcohol-free drinks now. I mean, alcohol-free beer is is great and there's, there's just hundreds hundreds of them. Even yep. here in South Africa, we've got an online shop that has more than a hundred choices and they'll deliver them to your door. You know, things are really changing. What do you think of, what do you think of um, the non-alcoholic drink? Because th- the debate I think for people that have gotten sober is that there is this debate that you shouldn't even go down the non-alcoholic drink route because it not necessarily will trigger you back in, but it's the stigma is well, have you truly stopped drinking if you still get a, a non-alcoholic beer? You're still technically there. So do you th- – that's a question that I, I like to ask people because uh, I have I had a sponsor on my show for a while, one of my favorite non-alcoholic beers. And, I, and you know I wasn't a beer guy. But I just liked the taste of it, and I was like, "Well, this this is good." And it wasn't it wasn't the I need to have a drink in my hand so people mm. don't judge me. I just wanted another option other than just sparkling water. And I found this beer, and I was like, "I, I like it a lot." And the story of the guy, you know, it was it was great. But I also had people question me and go, "Well, why drink why drink non alcoholic beer? Like, just have a beer." And uh, it's an interesting debate. So where do you stand on yeah. that? Well, I know that, that AA are very strict about that. And their, their thinking is that it will trigger you because it's it looks like it. But in fact, uh, well, the alcohol-free wines have got a lot of work to do because they're, they're pretty disgusting, <laughs> most of <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, I heard. But I love the beer. I, I was never a beer drinker, but I drink alcohol-free beer all the time. Well, I say all the time. I don't mean 20 a day. I have usually one a day. And I just love the taste of it, you know, like you, when it's uh, when it's a hot day, just an ice-cold, alcohol-free beer is, is mm-hmm. delicious. And it certainly doesn't trigger me. And, you know, we have a toolkit that we talk about in our, our, our workshop, and alcohol-free drinks are one of them. And, you know, obviously, if it does trigger you, then, then don't touch it. But for most people, it's a really good kind of substitute in the beginning because, uh, we say keep the ritual but change the ingredient. You know, so if you're if you enjoy opening a drink at six o'clock in the evening, then do it, but have something alcohol free. So I think they've got a big role to play, and I mm-hmm. think it makes the journey quite a lot easier for a lot of people. It certainly helps helped me 
and I, yeah. I now drink it because I, I like it. And and so I think for guys, actually, it's quite nice because I sometimes think that the peer pressure on, on men is even worse. You know, here in South Africa, there's a quite a macho culture. So, you know, poor, some of the poor guys in our community, they get teased a lot. So I think if they can kind of be holding something that looks like a beer, they're less likely to to be annoyed by people well, saying th- this is yeah problem. and that's the thing it's the stigma around it i just wrote about it the, the the journey to remove the stigma of being sober is ongoing yeah and that's where you're like so many people don't stop drinking because they're afraid of being judged i know, I know. for it's what do you uh you're one of those and it's like what yeah. a what one yeah. on one, it doesn't yeah. work for me anymore, and I shouldn't be judged for that. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I, and I think that's a real problem. And I really think it's the one of the biggest issues. I feel if the stigma would go away, and it all comes down to your friend group. I mean, maybe you yeah. just have shit shit friends, so that, <laughs> like, maybe maybe you need to like look at your friend group. Yeah, it certainly and, sorts out your friends who your friends really well, and are. They all, and, yeah, exactly. Like you know, it, and the other side of it is is uh, they don't want to talk about it because they have to look themselves in the mirror and that's not judging yeah. I'm just that's just reality but the the removing the stigma of that is I think a massive hurdle for a lot of people yeah um because and it's it's the biggest problem of trying of that first step of trying to get sober is like oh man I don't I can't go out with my girlfriends or my guys because yeah. they're oh, they're all just looking at me weird because I don't drink and and then you get the you're the sober person onto you know in that group and they're like oh we better go because sober Brent is bringing us <laughs> down it's like whatever I thankfully I don't have that in my life but I know a lot of people that have had that in yeah. their life yeah you know? and of course the the problem is that society has these two extremes doesn't it you're either a, a raging alcoholic you know the homeless man you know on the bench with his his bottle of whiskey or you're a normal drinker whereas in fact the majority of people are somewhere in between those two extremes mm. it's a spectrum it's a continuum you know it's not we're not either alcoholics or normal drinkers you know very few people are normal drinkers and the stat the research tells us that 20% of social drinkers will become dependent over the years. And, you know, my pattern was was quite uh, typical for, for a woman, I think, in the 20s and 30s, I was drinking socially. And then, you know, 40s and 50s, it turned more into self-medication and managing stress and anxiety. So, um, you know, this alcoholic label, it's, it's really harmful. And, and that was one of the things that turned me off uh, AA. And I never say I'm an alcoholic. I, I some, Sometimes if I'm on a, a show or radio that I get called an alcoholic, but I never call myself an alcoholic. I say that I'm someone that used to drink too much and now I don't, you know, end of. I don't I've need a label. Friends, <laughs> I got friends in the program um, good on them. I, I've, I've actually had discussions with them about it. And, and um, it, it's like anything else. It's like, that's the route that they need to go to get to where they got to get to. So that's great. But um, I, like you, I'm, I wanted to go about it in a, in a bit of a different way. Um, yeah. And well, and that's and, the joy of modern sobriety, you know, the modern right. recovery movement. We don't have to go that one way. There's a, a way for everybody. You made a really great point in there too about the social side of it and how eventually it maybe turns into a coping. And that was the big thing for me was on tour was, after a 16 hour day, cause my days are, you know, 14 to 16 hour days. You're there at, you know, 6am or 7am and you're there until three or three in the morning, you know, and then you get on the bus and then if you're doing two in a row, 
you're there till three in the morning and then you're back in at 7 a.m. And so that coping of stress was, okay, that was a long day. Can't wait to get on a bus, have a couple of drinks. And uh, that was a tough one to remove. That, that was the first big yeah. hurdle was that, that how am I going to cope now? <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of a red flag, I think, for people to notice, you know, when it goes from something you do for fun to something you do to cope. I mean, I used to love drinking alone, you know, having a, an evening at home on my own with my bottle of wine. <laughs> I was happy as Larry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how um, long have you been sober now for about three years? Yeah, I crossed over three years at New Year's this in tw- oh, coming yeah. into 22, well, so three years. Congratulations. Yeah. Well Thank done. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the benefits. Imagine there's someone listening to this and they think, oh, variety. why should I do that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, for me, removing, refer to it as a crutch because as, as I touched on, like it was a, a coping mechanism for stress and everyone has their own version of stress. Some people, oh, you tour around the world and you run concerts, you, you got a great life. Okay, sure. But I also managed a substantial amount of money. I managed a substantial amount of, of uh, responsibility. And that's no different than, a, than a, a banker or a mom. You know what I mean? A stay-at-home mom that's got four, three or four kids that's like, go, you know, oh my, it's like so stressed. Stress is whatever stress that is. And I found that out, removing that instantly made my, my thought process and cleared my head a lot because it removed one thing that I relied on. So if you can, if you're balancing stress, part of the, to me, part of balancing stress and how to treat stress is, uh, well, you've got that alcohol to fall back on. But to me, that's stressful that you're relying on that alcohol to fall back on. So if you remove the alcohol from that equation, that's one less thing you need to stress about. (laughs) So, right. And COVID and what we've been through, I think has taught a lot of people that, that, you know, mental health has gone gone has doubled down on this because people are stuck at home and, and whatever and then they're faced with their drinking full time and all the rest of it and if i was i got covid early early on thank you manchester by the way um i got i was in manchester and i got i got covid and i was one of the first people to get it and uh, at that point we didn't know what it was about i you know my, my son was freaking out he thought i was gonna die like you know that's stressful if i was sitting in my room for 14 days at the time with a bottle of jameson I might have drank myself into oblivion. So having removed that from the equation was one less stress in my life of like coping. So they kind of went to the same. So if you're struggling, I would suggest, you know, trying to find a way to remove that alcohol because that's a stress that you're, that's a, that's a weight on your shoulder that you're carrying and removing that from, from your life. If you can't balance it properly, that's one less stress that you have to deal with, which in turn is drinks that you don't have to put into your body to cope with it. So yeah, yeah. I think I think that was the biggest benefit. I've got a yeah. clearer head. I got a clearer head out of it and uh, I certainly feel better. I mean, uh, at my peak, I was like, I was 145 pounds in high school and I think I probably got it. I got to like 200 pounds. So the other benefit was I'm back down to my fighting weight of around 170. <laughs> so great, you know, yeah. That's a big thing too. It's it's great for weight loss, you know, and it's yeah. your body your body just naturally feels better. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, our metabolism kind of gets back to normal because I I was always on a diet. I mean, when I when I was young, I used to live on uh, white wine and cigarettes, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, hardly ate at all, and I still you know was fatter than I wanted to be, and now you know I'm. 
I can eat whatever I want. And I'm sure it's got an impact on our metabolism. Well, it's all the sugar. You're removing all that sugar. Of course. And right? when you've had a few drinks, you, you want to kind of eat some unhealthy stuff, don't you? Like pizza and cheese and things. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed a big difference in my health and how I felt after that. And that was part of the, that was part of the journey. It was I don't want to feel like that anymore. I want to feel. Yeah. I mean, it's back to the potential thing, isn't it? You know, why always feel a bit uh, and a bit below par when we can, yeah. you know, feel, feel fantastic. Anything else you'd like to add that you think we haven't mentioned? It's been so interesting talking to you, Brett. My career and my work where I do, sure, I run concerts for a living, but um, I think responsibility is responsibility. And so I had a substantial amount of responsibility put on me as I got bigger tours and as you're away from home. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm out for six to seven months a year. So you've got to find a support system. You know, thankfully, I've got you know, a great support system at home. I've got great friends. I've got all the rest of it. So it makes it a little bit easier to get out. So you need to find your, your tribe sober. You need to find your tribe. You need to find your people that are going to help you get through it. And you, please, please don't be afraid to to go for it, thinking that you're going to be judged because you, if you're going to be judged, then you're with the wrong tribe. You're with the wrong people. And if you find them, you know, if anyone's listening to this today, you know, Janet and I met this morning. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that we're great friends now. Absolutely. Ba- based on our, <laughs> ba- you know, based on our, our, our journeys together. And, um, it's, it's just a look that you, I'm sure this is the same as anyone that does Coke or does any, all these kind of thing. It's like, when you go looking for the people that drink, you find the people that drink. When you go looking for the people that, that do blow and, and stuff, you're going to find those people and you give each other a wink because you, you know, you know, you're in that club, but this club is a great club to be a part of because we've all struggled through it. We've all come out the other side. Hopefully, I know it's not; it's an ongoing battle. You're seven years in, but I'm sure I'm sure there's there's moments. Um, but the other thing that I learned through this is that those urges come in ten minute increments, and I've been able to find a way to battle through those ten minute increments, whether it be go for a run, hit the gym, or go for a walk, and then it goes away. So I think a lot of fear people go, well, if I quit drinking, how am I gonna how am I gonna get through that like urge? I'm telling you that, like, for me, they're they're in ten minute increments, and once you cross that ten minute increments, and then you cross those hundred days, then they just kind of slowly just leave your life. And one of the preliminary things we talked about in here, you you were asking me if I'd ever caved, and I actually have not, but I almost did, and it was Claire's. I hit. I almost caved right when Claire caved at around day 250 <laughs> and it was so funny because i was in cork ireland and i wanted to i want to say this story first and foremost allow, allow yourself to be human okay so you know if you're gonna cave you're gonna cave and don't judge yourself for it it's just it's just gonna be one of those things but i really felt for whatever reason around day 240 day 250 and i specifically remember those days because i was having a hard i just was struggling and i almost caved in cork ireland on whiskey alley and i opened claire's book and i was i was going through it and i realized that right around the same time she had caved at around 24250 and i read i instantly read I was hoping that she would write about the results of that. And she wrote about how awful she felt about it and how she wished she didn't. And it opened up Pandora's box and she started like drinking again and she really wished she didn't. And it was that line and that section in that book that made me that day not do it. And I'm pretty sure that if I didn't have her book, 
I probably wouldn't have made it to 250 days. I probably would have just caved. But that was the moment for me. My sober hero was nor- was human too. And she yeah. totally regretted doing it. Yeah. And I'm so I'm not out of respect for my journey, the time that she's put into helping me, my family and my friends and whatever, I'm going to try to push through this thing. And I did. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that, that moment. So if you are going down this journey, don't be afraid to be human, surround yourself with a great tribe and don't be afraid to ask for help. And uh, you're going to feel uh, like it was the best decision that you've, that you've made. Thank you so much, Brent. That was really fascinating. So let's highlight some points from that conversation. Brent didn't have a hectic drinking problem or a rock bottom, but as his responsibilities grew, he gradually realized that he needed to be super sharp at all times during his tour. He manages huge budgets and a very complex schedule. He found himself planning his drinking. For example, if he had three days off work, then he knew that he'd be drinking and he wouldn't be at his best during some of that time. And he began to feel that he needed to make a choice, a choice between drinking or his career and family. And we agreed that even if alcohol doesn't destroy us, and it certainly doesn't destroy everybody, but it always prevents us from reaching our potential. And Brent believes that a lot of people think they're fine as they don't have an obvious problem, but in fact, they would be a lot sharper and more energetic without it. And we talked about the fact that sometimes we have a perception that we have a very boozy crowd of friends. But when we stop, we sometimes discover that we were the ringleader. And we agreed that, yes, we do sometimes lose friends when we stop drinking. But those drinking buddy relationships are often replaced with new and deeper friendships as we get sober. Brent got sober with a combination of exercise, coffee, creating podcasts and Claire Pooley. I loved his story about connecting with Claire, who was firmly on Team Brent. The journey she describes in her sober diaries mirrored Brett's experience. She stressed the importance of getting to 100 days. And then, of course, Brett didn't want to waste his sober days when he got to that milestone, so he carried on. He had a major wobble several months in and then discovered that Claire had the same experience. Reading about how she regretted giving in to the caving kept him right on track. And that's exactly the kind of thing that happens in our community. People reach out because they're tempted or because they feel miserable. And someone further down the road will always say, when I was at that stage, this is what I did. Connecting with people at different stages of the journey is invaluable. We talked about Claire's inspirational blog, The Obstacle Course, and agreed that the very worst thing is to spend your life falling on and off the wagon. That is exhausting and demoralizing. Just in case you haven't seen Claire's blog, which went viral, I'll put it in the show notes. Brent's experienced many benefits during his three years of sobriety, mental clarity and more energy, to name just two. And saving time is also a huge benefit. No longer are we planning the drinking, doing the drinking and recovering from the drinking. Our podcast interview actually took place in the morning on one of his days off. He was in a hotel in Miami and he said that normally he would be sleeping. But instead he was up and ready and happy to talk to me about sobriety. 
As he put it, he was very happy to replace his search for alcohol with a search for knowledge. Now, that got me thinking that the combination of having extra time as well as more energy and creativity explains why so many of our community have gone on to develop new interests and connections since they got sober. Brent feels that getting sober is like saying goodbye to your best friend. And you heard him promise to write us a goodbye to alcohol for our website, so I'll be keeping him to that promise. With a job like his, I obviously wasn't going to let Brent off the hook without getting the inside scoop on the drinking habits of today's rock stars. For a long time, substance abuse was cool. But these days, not so much. Brent's been in the music business for 20 years. And these days, he says it's the cleanest it's ever been. We have to remember that huge amounts of money are spent on travel, hotels and stadiums, so the promoters expect their artists to be well behaved. And of course, concert tickets are so expensive these days, so the fans want value for their money. And a bad performance will live online forever and can really damage a band's reputation. There are many sober rock stars these days, and their image does not suffer at all when they ditch the booze. This is such a good trend, and many young people may be inspired to follow their example. According to an article called The Sober Rebranding of Rock and Roll, there are many sober rock stars. Here are just six of them. Jennifer Hudson, Elton John, Eminem, Keith Urban, Steven Tyler, and Neil Young. If you have a listen to Tribe Sober podcast episode 68, you can hear the recovery story of punk musician John Turner, who is in a band called the Petrol Bastards. I ended our conversation by asking Brent what advice he would give someone wanting to get sober. And like many of us, he's blown away by the warmth and connection in the recovery world. And he simply said, find your people. So do check out tribesober.com as we may be your people, and we would love to walk alongside you on this life-changing journey. So let me finish by reading a couple of messages from our members on Slack chat. We have a channel called Reach Out for Help, and on this, one of our US members, Steph, wrote, Morning, tribe. I'm gearing up for my first sober birthday, and I'm feeling dull, sad, fidgety, Today is 96, and I feel such astonishment. Holy shit, I'm going to hit 100 days. But instead of elation, I'm holding this heavy sadness around my no-wine birthday. So many of our members piled in with some advice, but here's one I really like from Lucy. There are lots of non-boots things to enjoy. We just have to reinvent them. We got lazy when we were drinking. Doing a sundowner with an alcohol-free drink and a beautiful glass is just as good. The company is the same. The view is the same. All you've done is remove the poison, the argument, and the eventual hangover. You have the power. You can drink alcohol, but you're choosing not to. And remember that waking up fresh with a clear head after your birthday is the best possible present you can give yourself. So thank you, Lucy. That's great advice. So that's it from me. Big thank you to our 124 Dry January donors who enabled us to raise 61,000 rand, enough to sponsor 244 disadvantaged children for a whole year of yoga and life skills training. 
Our next challenge is Sober Spring, which starts on March the 20th. It's already up on our website, tribesober.com, if you want to check it out. And if you'd like a copy of our PDF called 30 Signs You May Have a Problem with Alcohol, just email janet at tribesober.com. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast, and we'd be so grateful if you'll leave us a review. And I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.